When the New Testament looks back at the Old Testament, what it says in summary form, quoting Romans 15, is whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that by the steadfastness and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Everything in the Old Testament was written to give you hope. This story about Asa's folly was written to give you hope this morning. So my purpose, I believe, is simply God's purpose, namely to unpack the story written and told to give Bethlehem and everybody in this room hope this morning. That's my goal. Asa made a big mistake, very foolish mistake. He didn't rely upon God. He relied upon man. And my goal is to just so unpack the reasons for that folly in such a way that they grip you and don't let that happen in your life. So that you walk out of here sort of medicated against Asa's folly, immune to Asa's folly. That the temptation rising to commit Asa's folly in your life would not happen. You won't catch that disease. Now, let me illustrate what I mean by the alternative, perhaps, of Asa's folly. The opposite of Asa's folly is trusting God or hoping in God. Uh, yesterday, as I began to put my hands on the keyboard to type out this message, I stopped because I had Asa's folly in my mind real clearly. And I bowed my head and I said, Lord, I have I have a text. I have an idea. I have a mind. I have hands. I have a computer. I have time, a free day, Lord willing, uninterrupted. I can write this sermon. But Lord, very consciously now, I renounce reliance upon my text, my idea, my mind, my hands, my computer, my day, my freedom. I renounce reliance upon all these good things that you have created and given to me. I renounce reliance upon them right now and I look away from me to you. And I pray that in and under and around and through and on top of this effort now on this Saturday, you will so powerfully and deeply work that what will be made will not simply be the work of a man, but the work and the word of God. These people don't need another man-made thing. They work with man-made ideas and man-made things all week long. They don't need another man-made thing. Come, do something, move. And that's what I'm praying, by the way, while well, Tom's reading the text as well. That's what I want to happen in your life more and more. In more and more areas, more and more times, more and more deeply, pausing and saying, all right, I must do this and that. But I very consciously look away now 
from reliance upon me and my human resources and those around me. And I fix my eyes on the sovereign God and I depend on you for making what I do significant and eternally valuable. Now, that's what I want to happen. And I don't want to get give the impression that it, it only has to do with religious things like sermons. I use sermon as an example because that's where I live. That's my life. But uh, here's another illustration that's different. I also took a bike ride yesterday morning. And as I uh, put my right foot into the strap to get on the bike, I stopped and thought, hmm, Ace's folly. And I just did the same thing. I said, Lord... I've got legs. I've got a sturdy bike. I've got arms. I've got hands. I've got eyes. I can ride to many ha-ha falls and back. Piece of cake. I've got an extra tube and a pump and a patch kit even. I've covered it. I'll make it. I can do this. But Lord, very consciously now, I renounce reliance upon my legs and my arms and my hands and my patch kit and my bike. And I look to you to make this ride something really special. Meet me. Open my eyes to your glory. Speak to me. Use me. Protect me. Do something in this 54 minutes or so that will change me, make me a better pastor, a better father, a better husband. Lord, I don't want just what I can do in this moment. I want what you can do. Get it? Asa didn't do that. And he made a big mistake. That's Asa's folly not to do that. Now let's get, let's get the uh, situation before us here because God's word is more important than my, my illustrations from my life. Thousand years before Jesus was born, there was King David. Everybody knows King David, so I'll start there. King David, great king. Thousand years exactly, King David is there. He dies. His son Solomon takes over the United Kingdom of Israel. When Solomon dies, there's conflict and separation. And you all know the kingdom of Israel divides into a southern kingdom, which is usually called Judah, made up of Judah and Benjamin, a northern kingdom, which is usually called Israel, made up of the other ten tribes. And Jeroboam and Rehoboam rule over these two kingdoms. Rehoboam's son is Abijah, and Abijah's son is Asa. And that's where we are. Asa the king... Not too long after the division, and he reigns for 41 years. And almost all of those years are wonderful years of peace. God blessed Asa. God filled him with all kinds of good things and honored all his labors. He was a good king for about 35 years. And then something happened. I have no idea what happened To make Asa change. It's a tragic change. But chapter 16 describes the trouble that comes in the 36th year of Asa's reign. Verse 1 says that Baasha, the king of Israel, the northern kingdom, went up against Judah, that is against Asa. And he built a city at Ramah 
as a kind of siege and blockade so that he could determine who goes in and out to the southern kingdom. And right at that point, Asa made a colossal blunder. He trusted in man and not God. Verse 2. He took silver and gold from the treasures of the house of the Lord. This is called prostitution, by the way. From the house of the Lord to buy a substitute for the Lord, in other words. He took silver and gold from the treasures of the house of the Lord and the king's house and sent them to Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, or Aram, it might say in your translation. Same thing. In other words, he... The first thought that comes into Asa's mind when he's in trouble with Baasha, the king of Israel, is got to get a political alliance. First thought, got to have money, got to have political alliance, got to have military might. First thought. And so he sends the money up to Syria. Ben-Hadad takes it, comes in and cleans house on the northern kingdom, destroying several cities. Baasha has to pull back from building Ramah. It worked. It worked. And there's a great lesson here. When you stop trusting God and start relying upon your resources, it works for a while. Things go well. The portfolio grows. The business grows. The house is nice. All the toys are in place. It's working. For a while. And it worked. It worked. For Asa. But it cost him dearly. It cost him a missed blessing. And it cost him great hardship. Here's the blessing he missed. Verse 7. Second half of the verse. The prophet says to him. Because you relied on the king of Assyria. Or the king of Syria. And did not rely on the Lord your God. The army of the king of Assyria has escaped you. What does that mean? That means that had he relied upon the Lord, here's, here's the scenario that the prophet is painting. If he had done this, Lord, I am really in trouble because Baasha is coming against me. And, and on top of him, there's Syria. They might strike a league against me and I'd be done for, Lord. Help me. If he had done that. The prophet says, you would have had not only Baasha, you would have had Syria. I would have given them into your hands. And you missed it. And you'll never have it. So when we stop trusting the Lord, it may look like it's going well. I can do it. I mean, I'm smart, right? I can ride my bike. I can type my computer. I can run my business. I can father my family. I can run a church, right? And not only does it cost us blessings, but it brings hardship. Verse 9, second half of the verse, the prophet says, You have done foolishly in this, for from now on you will have wars. So not only do we miss blessings when we stop trusting God and start trusting human resources, we get hardships. Eventually. Now, we know from other Bible passages, like 
Romans 8, 28, 1 Samuel 12, 25, and numerous others, that if you repent after such a blunder, God not only will forgive, but he will take the hardships and turn them into fatherly discipline rather than judicial condemnation. You got a handle on that? If you repent after such a blunder, God won't necessarily keep the consequences of your bad unbelief from happening. He will simply make them fatherly, chastising discipline for your good rather than judicial condemnation for your sentencing. Now, Asa didn't repent, as far as I can tell. Look at verse 12. This is so tragic. Three years later, in the 39th year of his reign, Asa was diseased in his feet. And his disease became severe. And yet, even in his disease, he did not seek the Lord. But he sought help from physicians. Something tragic had happened in Asa's life. He had become over 35 years of God's blessing and peace and bounty a secular humanist 2,800 years before the term was invented. Secular humanist. You thought that was a new thing. It's not a new thing. Military threat. What's the first thought? Money, political alliances, military might. That's secular humanism. Physical problem. What's the first thought? Medicine, doctors, God, gone. He's gone. He's gone out of this man's mind. Or maybe it came in way late, way down underneath. Fifth, sixth down, after he tried all the medicines, maybe God. That's secular humanism. God is out of his mind as a precious, warm, day-by-day communion whereby he says, I've got a problem. I consult you first. I seek your power first. I ask your guidance first. I need your help first. I don't know what to do. Secular humans don't talk like that. Weak. Lamb-like, helpless Christians talk like that. Now, I said that there were two reasons why it was folly for Asa not to trust God that I see in this text. Here's number one. God had proved to Asa in the past that when he trusted him, great things happened for good. The first reason it's folly for Asa not to trust God is because the past, Asa's whole past says, I'll do it. I'll take care of you. Trust me. I'll defeat enemies for you. I'll prosper you. Your whole history is a testimony that it's stupid and foolish not to trust me. Let's go back to chapter 14. I want you to see this because... Well, before you go back, we better read verse 8, because that's what sent me back. Verse 8 in chapter 16 says, 
Here's the prophet trying to figure out Asa's mind. Were not the Ethiopians and the Libyans a huge army with exceedingly many chariots and horsemen? And yet because you relied on the Lord, he gave them into your hand. Now, let's go back and read about that. Chapter 14. In verse nine of chapter 14, Second Chronicles. It says that Zerah. The Ethiopian came up against Asa with one million soldiers. That's twice as many as were in Asa's country. One million soldiers and 300 chariots. Then, verse 10, it says, Asa went out to meet him in battle with his small army. And then verse 11 is the crucial difference from what happened 35 years later. Asa cried to the Lord his God, O Lord, there is none like thee to help between the mighty and the weak. Help us, O Lord our God, for we rely on thee. And in thy name we have come against this multitude. O Lord, thou art God. Let not man prevail against thee. That's the opposite of Asa's folly. That's the way Asa's life and ministry began. Now I want you to notice something. He had an army. I have a computer. I have a bike. And I go to doctor's. The point is not that bikes and computers and doctors are bad. The point is, it's bad not even to think about God and rush off to your own human resources. Doctors, computers, bikes, brains, legs, anything. God is number one. If we don't go to God first, if we don't consult God and rely upon God and ask God and trust God and seek God before, then we're foolish. We're missing blessings and we're bringing hardships upon ourselves. But Asa prayed. And verse 12 in chapter 14, here's what happened. So the Lord defeated the Ethiopians before Asa and before Judah. And then, as though not to let Asa miss the point, look at chapter 15. The prophet comes to him. And interprets for him how he should understand what's going on here in God's blessing. Verse 1, second half of the verse in chapter 15. Hear me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you while you are with him. That simply means God will help you if you trust him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. And that's what happened evidently at the end of Asa's life. Thirty-five years of prosperity. Mark this. Thirty-five years of divinely sent blessing. And Asa turned from the Lord. So the first reason that it's folly... For Asa to trust in himself and his money and his military might and his political alliances is because he had a whole history, decades of blessing from from God. Now, here's the second and last reason. 
Asa's reliance upon himself and upon human resources is foolish because the nature of God is such that he is eager to show his power on behalf of people who trust him. This is the main point this morning. I hope you get this. The nature of God is such that he is eager on his tiptoes, on the edge of his chair to pour out omnipotent power on behalf of people who trust him. I get this from verse 9 of chapter 16. Verse 9, it's one of my favorite verses. I hope you will memorize it after this morning and fight the devil with it. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show his might. I really think that's the best translation. I like this better than the NIV. To show his might in behalf of those whose heart is blameless. I don't like that translation. It's very misleading. Blameless sounds perfectionistic. That's not at all what's intended here. Rather, the word shalem in Hebrew means whole, complete. Good translation would be whose heart is uh, whole toward him. Wholly reliant, wholly devoted, wholly committed. There's a sense of wholeness, like love the Lord your God with your whole Heart. That's the implication here. Do the, the context demands a focus on reliance. That's the issue. He didn't rely upon the Lord. Had he wholly relied upon the Lord, the eyes of the Lord would have picked it up and almighty omnipotent power would have come forth on Asa's behalf. Now, God means for you, as I close this service, God means for you to learn something about him this morning about his character and his nature that'll change your life. He wants you to know him in a new way this morning. For some of you, it's not totally new. But for a lot of people in this room, this is a new vision of God. A God who is on his tiptoes, on the edge of his chair, looking for ways to show himself powerful on behalf of people who are weak and who trust in him. It is God's nature to want to be powerful for you if you are childlike and wholly trusting him and not running after Ben Hadad. Let me try to use a couple of illustrations to get at this verse. This is an awesome verse. Oh, I hope you don't ride lightly over this verse. It is awesome. Suppose I were to say to you, The eyes of the narcotics agents run to and fro throughout the city, seeking to find drug dealers and bring them to justice. What I would mean by that is, it's the job of narcotics agents to find drug dealers, and they really are about it. That's what I mean when I say their eyes are running to and fro throughout the whole city, seeking to find drug dealers and bring them to justice. That's their job, and they're really going to do it. That's what it means to be a narcotics agent. Or here's another one. The eyes of the scouts of the athletic departments of the Big Ten schools run to and fro throughout the high schools of America to find the best athletes to bring them into their athletic program. Now, what I mean when I say that their eyes, these scouts' eyes are running to and fro throughout the high schools is that's their job. That's their job, and they really mean to do it. It's the very nature of a scout to find 
athletes. All right. Now, if we're on the right track, when the Bible says the eyes of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, the sustainer of the universe, are running to and fro throughout the whole earth to seek to show himself mighty on behalf of those who wholly trust him, that means it's God's job to help people. And he really means to get his job done. That's his living. Do you believe that? God's living. His nature. Why he exists. Is to show off his power for weak people who trust in him. I tell you, if you believe that. It changes everything in your life. That that's the nature of God. He exists to show off power for weak people who trust in Him. I love this verse. I love this God. God is not doing this just on the weekends. God does not do this after hours. This is not a hobby. This is not God's recreation. This is God's life. It's his life. What else does it mean that his eyes are running to and fro? I must find someone to help. I must find someone to be powerful for. I can't live without being powerful for my people. That is the image that is God. He's the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who loved us and gave himself for us. He's the God who hears all your prayers He's the God who created this universe and holds it in being by the word of his power. He's the God who's in this room right now. Teaching through my teaching and calling you to believe, calling you to trust him. Let's pray together. When this service is over, it won't be over. There will be standing at the front here teams of, of prayers who want to pray with you about the issues you're facing in your life. Things that you've been afraid about, things that you need to trust God for. And I just pray that every team will have people ready to pray. I think many of you shouldn't leave right after the service. You should sit and pray, some of you. Some should just come up with the teams and tell what you'd like support in prayer with. And others, of course, will will leave and pray this afternoon. Father, There's a great work that you want to do in the lives of your people. Revealing who you are. What a God you are. Your eyes run to and fro. 
seeking to show yourself powerful on behalf of those who are weak and helpless and wholly turned away from human resources to you and trusting you. Lord God, help us to trust you. We look to you. We wait upon you. We bow before you. Lord, speak to us as Mike sings.